It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, The Horn. go on a Wednesday morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Light the Tower. On the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM 1260, or we're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Good morning to you. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. Jeff Howe will be here at the bottom of the hour. This is, after all, getting close to uh, some uh, things that are starting to percolate with regard to the college football scene. Uh, most notably... The most anticipated college football schedule release announcement that I can ever remember. What we'll plenty to talk about on that. Uh, also, of course, our producer, our man behind the glass, is none other than Cameron Parker, longtime Texas resident, original native of my home state, North Carolina. How are you doing this morning, Cam? I'm doing great, Craig, and glad to have you back in studio. I'm glad you made it back safely. Yeah, uh, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm, I always do this every year, so I'm going to do it right now, and just so that there, there's no confusion about uh, my emotions about where things are. Uh, <laughs> did I want Texas to win? Absolutely. I mean, if you listen to the broadcast, you could tell that on uh, on Monday night. Uh, did I want to be leaving for Omaha today? Yes, I did. Did I want to have an opportunity to broadcast from Omaha? I think from what I, I it was just top of my head. I haven't, re- I haven't really counted it through. I think 13, I think I've been there 12 times counting a couple of network assignments for Westwood one. Would I, would I've wanted to be there? Of course, of course it's the be all end all destination there, uh, for a college baseball broadcaster. But more than that, you, you get close to, uh, this baseball team and the program and the coaches and those who run the program, and you want good things for them. You want success for them. So, yes, let, let me start with that right out of the gate. Now, having said that, <laughs> it is good to be home, uh, and, and uh, it, it was it was nice to come into the door and see my wife and see my dog and then see my youngest son later when he came in. Uh, so yes, you know we we all go through those things when you're uh, out of town, or even when you're on vacation and you're happy to get away and have those opportunities to do that. But but it's always good to be back home, and it was great to be back here, even as warm as it is. And boy, could I feel it when I got off that plane. <laughs> did you think you were in L.A. when you saw the sky and how hazy it was? It was weird. It was weird. I did I did see that, and 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 I had uh, when I was in. Um, uh, Northern California, obviously, with the, the Longhorns playing out in the Stanford Super Regional. Uh, Roger Wallace's brother lives in Palo Alto. And, uh, and of course, a week ago, we were down in South Florida. A week before that, we were down there in South Florida. And Roger's sister and brother-in-law live in Coral Gables or a, a, a part of it over there. So it was kind of like the Roger Wallace family reunion tour we did. We had, we had dinner with his sister and brother-in-law one night uh, in uh, in South Florida, and we had dinner with his brother and his nephew another night in Palo Alto. But my point was going to be that when we were there, uh, that was when the real bad air quality thing was happening in New York with the with the uh, with the fires, the Canadian wildfires, and they said what that air quality number thing was above two hundred or something. And his brother Chase said, "Let's see what the air quality is here." In Northern California, and like I said, it was above 200, which is a bad number there for New. It was Northern California. It was eight, eight. Wow. Yeah, it, it felt clean and crisp and all of that other kind of stuff. But uh, there are other things with California that you deal with, obviously. Uh, so 
you know, traffic and prices and things like that. And uh, <clears throat> low-hanging baseball lights. Low-hanging uh, light standards there, but we won't you know, we have to get too much into that. But anyway, uh, yeah, when I got off the plane, it, it just felt a little oven-like. It was, uh, it was, it was quite warm, and I could feel it even this morning when I took the dog out. Like I, when I take her out in the morning, uh, early in the morning, normally you feel the cool of the morning, and it was in, it was in the fifties in in Northern California. Oh, in the morning. Wow. You had to put a jacket on. Uh, we were doing the last two ball games. We were in, we're in our jackets during the game. Yeah. It, it got kind of cooler, especially the Sunday night game. It, it got pretty chilly during the Sunday night game, but. Uh, but I could feel it, no doubt about it. So, but even with, even with the uh, the heat that it is, and in the hundreds, and and like our man CB mentioned that it's, uh, it's supposed to, uh, you know, uh, Austin's in the hundreds. We're supposed to be in the fifties as we get up there in the in the PMW in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, yeah, it's it's nice and cool up there. So uh, uh, our Specs text line is open at 512-337-3776, 512-337-3776. Always glad to have your, your input on the Specs text line on a variety of topics, be they sports, the professional or collegiate variety, lifestyle, things like that. Uh, somebody asked me if, if we were going to have he's Mr. Watson on the show. I don't know when the last time Gene was called Mr. Watson. I'll have to ask him next time. But it's funny that you texted that in because Gene and I were texting this morning, and he is going to be on with us uh, later this week. And he'll uh, we're, we're going to get back. Between my travels and his travels, it, it was going to be extremely difficult for uh us to put him back in our regular uh, cycle of conversations, but we are going to do that now. So uh, we may uh, have him on before the end of the week. I know we're going to have him on uh, next week as well. Um, so uh, somebody said, uh, let, let, just checking a couple of the, it's great having you out here. Oh, our good friend, John in the Bay. Thank you for the amazing job you do for Texas athletics. Enjoy your summer. Uh, got to see John in the Bay again. I've, I've, I've seen him before. I, th- I think uh, John came down when the Texas women played Stanford, and, and that's where I first met him. So John was out there. John, had, he had a challenge finding a ticket because the ballpark only seats 3,000. Wow. And that's when it's completely jammed. It reminds me a little bit, and I've been there many times because, like we said, remember, Augie Garrido and, and Mark Marquis, longtime Stanford coach, they had a 20-year home-and-home going. Well, it went for 20 years, from 99 to 2019. So it went through Augie's last year, 2016. And then David Pierce uh, and David Esker extended it. Uh, they kept it going up through 2019. But um, So I got to go out there quite a few times. So I was used to it. Um, I wasn't completely used to the way the press box and the broadcast area was structured. And I know a lot was made out of that. Uh, and all that sort of stuff. Because you were right above the TV guys, right? Yeah, and to, like, I'd be off the back right shoulder in a row behind Kyle Peterson. So we were closer, actually, almost behind O plate. They were down in the front and to the left, Stanford's radio, student radio, which um, one of their broadcasters is from Elgin. And, really? Uh, yep, yep. And I'd met him when Stanford came in a few years ago, and he was getting ready to graduate. Their final exams, by the way, finished today. Today. <laughs> they, but they don't start their academic year until late September. And then they, mm. go, to, and then they go to late June. So, uh, so they, they finished. He had one more final he had to do on Tuesday. We were chatting. And then, um, and then, uh, and then, he's, and, and then he was – well, I think he had – yeah, he had one more final, and then he had one other presentation or something to do. But anyway, then he was going to be done. I wonder if Quinn Matthews got his 29-page paper turned in. Let me tell you, I found out a little more about that. Oh. Uh, for, for folks who didn't know, Quinn Matthews, of course, was the outstanding Stanford uh, left-hander who went the distance and threw the 156 pay, uh, p- pitches in uh, the Sunday night win over Texas. And uh, I don't know a lot came out, and there was discussion about that. Um I told a story on the air Sunday that, and I think I might have said it on the show um, on Monday, but um, I told a story because I learned about it from Roxy Bernstein, who's a friend of mine and was working for ESPN, and he worked the regional 
uh, up through it. And I heard Roxy tell the story in the Monday night game they had against Texas A&M about this big presentation that Quinn Matthews had on the day that he was to pitch against San Jose State in the uh, regional opener. And and I kind of paraphrased some things and went from what I remembered uh, and, and told it as best I could. Before the final game on Monday night, this was during the afternoon when we we're setting up in the press box and all this, I look over my right shoulder and there's Roxy Bernstein because he lives out there. So his assignments were done. He did that that crazy regional, super regional in Eugene, in Oregon, the Oral Roberts uh, Oregon game uh, series, and we chatted about that for a few minutes. How how crazy nuts that was, and all of that sort of stuff. And then I said, "Hey, f- fill in some gaps for me on this deal about Quinn Matthews and the the what he had to do." So. He said, let me look it up on it. He had to look up the notes he had on his phone, and he looked it up, and this is what he said. He said, Matthews was due to make a final presentation in a class that Friday that was to count for 70% of his grade. Sheesh. 70%. That was going to be the class was going to be that afternoon. Well... A little busy. They knew in advance, obviously, Stanford, the way things were going, that they were going to certainly host a regional, if not also be a top eight. They knew they were going to, at the very least, be hosting regional. And the smart young man this guy is, he goes and he visits with Stanford Athletics and the baseball program and said, if we're hosting a regional, assuming we are, would we play the day game or the night game? And they said the day game on Friday. So he knew it would conflict with the class. So then he went to his professor and he said, here's my situation. Uh, I have, uh, I know we've got the presentation and I'll be ready for the presentation. However, uh, we do have our regional opening game against San Jose State and I'm scheduled to pitch. Is there any way we can reschedule and do this? And, And the professor's the professor was willing to work with him and said, yeah, the only real slot I have is in the morning. Would you be okay with doing it in the morning? I know you got to pitch a good ball game in the afternoon, but would you be okay with it? And he said, yeah, I'll do it. So that morning he makes his presentation, and it was on – let's see if I can remember exactly what it was. It was on the implementation, um, examination, and something else of medical – uh, apparatus, and 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 it was and and what it essentially revolved around, and here's your grand irony, was a brace that's used for pitchers recovering from Tommy John surgery. No way. And how and and the validation of it and what it did, and so he had a big oral presentation. He was going to have to do on that, so he had the oral presentation. And Roxy tells the story on the air, and then he goes out and he pitches. You know, he throws, I think, 114 pitches against San Jose State, and they beat San Jose State. Now, what Roxy did not tell on the air, because he didn't know it at the time, what he sent, he found out later is that Quinn then had to go back to his apartment and write a paper afterwards, a big paper afterwards. So he did the presentation, then he pitches, then he writes the paper mm. off of that. So I think he's probably got a bright future even – even if in, in, in the minds of some people he might have no done kidding. damage to his arm by throwing 156 pitches. I don't know. Did well, he win no. MVP of the Super Regional? They don't do a okay. they don't do that because it's only two teams where they do an all regional team. Mm-hmm. Uh, no awards given out. No okay. awards given out. I think they should at least do a most outstanding player. I understand you don't it doesn't make much sense to do an all super regional team because you only got two teams. So every player is either going to be from one team or the other, and it kind of defeats the purpose. However, however, I do think that uh, it, you could certainly do, you know, an MOP, uh, most outstanding yeah. player of the Super Region. You could do that, I, I suppose. But they, he, I think he would have been named the guy. Because if you look at uh, Stanford's lineup, they had different contributors. Now, Malcolm Moore, 
the best hitter. He had six or seven hits? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you could have made a case for him. But you could have made a case for Quinn Matthews, yeah. too. It's kind of like LeBaron Johnson. Exactly like him. He threw 129 pitches. He was the outstanding player in the in the Coral Gables region. So, yeah, you can you can make a uh, uh, you know a case for that. Um, okay, so uh, CB says daylight is at 9:30 p.m. on the West Coast. Well, yeah, yeah, up there, and and that gets also to the twilight thing. Um, I might as well just go ahead and give you my thoughts on this. I mean, I, I was there to call it when it happened. And this this really goes back to something I learned a long time ago from from Keith Moreland working games with me. And then, and then uh, Ty Harrington and I have talked about this. Um, uh, Greg Swindell and I have talked about this. Um, the, the challenge is... And the difficulty that ensues when you have twilight to begin with mixed with if you have lower light poles, lower light standards, if you have if you have those there. It's less about – I know some folks have brought up the thing about whether it's the LED and the vapor lighting as opposed to just the regular, uh, the regular ones there. It's less about that. It's more about the height of the light poles as the ball rises into twilight – so it's it's such a quick flash that it makes it very very difficult. Keith uh, always used to mention the first time I ever heard him mention it was in 2002 when we went out to do Texas at Stanford. We went out to do that, and he mentioned he said these are lower light poles. The ball's going to get in the air. It's tougher to see. It's kind of like you've heard me mention this before. This is a, a slightly different optical challenge, but it still is an optical challenge because you're dealing with light versus shadow. When a pitcher is on the mound and he is in sunshine during the shadows in an early evening, he's on he the he's in the sunlight and home plate is in the shadow. Or, and this is even more difficult, vice versa. Say the shadows move across and the pitcher is in the shadow, and then it's got to come out of the out of that into the sunlight to the hitter. And sometimes the worst combination is when you have the pitcher in the shadow. And he comes out into the light, and there's another shadow around home plate. So you're going from shadow to light to shadow. And the way I've heard Keith and, and uh, Zonk and Zeke, you know, Keith and, and, and Greg talk about this, and, and Ty as well, and even Augie Garrido, I remember talking to him about this, and, and Skip Johnson. The difficulty you see, it's not that you don't see the ball, you see the ball. What players quite often rely on, especially on breaking balls, off-speed pitches, is the spin of the ball. You lose that almost completely when it comes out of the shadow and the sunlight or light in the shadow. And when it's changing like that, you lose the spin on the ball. Well, in a larger sense, it's kind of almost like that with regard to what the outfielder sees when it goes in the twilight. You just lose sight of it unless you just happen to lock in right when it happens and you just happen – to to like, but I've had it described to me. It's 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 almost like uh, it, it it is almost uh, like um, uh, you know if you, it, like lottery. I mean, it's, it's it has to be almost the luck of the draw that you see it right there because the ball is going in so fast to the plate. Then the batter swings and then it gets up into there. So I always mention it, and I had mentioned getting into the twilight the night before. I'd mentioned about that. That challenge of light versus shadow when it goes up into the twilight. And I could tell from, like you just asked me, uh, Cam, we were seated a little more toward the center of the center of the press box. So we were almost directly behind no plate, although, and I mentioned it, you know, they had all that ample foul territory behind the plate. So we were back a bit, but still had a good bird's eye view of it. In other words, I'm lined up with the batter's box, the mound, and center field. And the moment that Bowser swung, Drew Bowser swung at the ball and went up. I knew it was a problem because immediately I saw Eric Kennedy's hands go out. Like, I can't see it. And Dylan Campbell was shaded a little further over to right uh, just to kind of quasi-guard against the line. Well, he comes running over, but he never saw it either from where he's coming from the angle. And then obviously we see the ball drop six feet in front of him. But Kennedy will tell you, and talk with the coaches, it was initially really should have been his ball on a routine fly ball to right center. He would drift over and get it. But I knew the minute it went up, it was gonna, it was a problem. And there's not much you can do about it. I mean, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate 
excruciatingly bad break when it hits so high up into the twilight like that, and then it's coming back down. I had somebody ask me on uh, a Facebook thing, would it help them wear sunglasses? No, in fact, it would have made it worse. Yep. Yep. And, and they had sunglasses on during most of the game anyway. But all that would have done is block it out even more. It would have made it more difficult to do that. So that's my thoughts on all of that. And uh, and and it's it's difficult. And those guys, you know, felt obviously really really bad about it. Um, and um, and then had to you know, I heard Dylan Campbell said we're going to hear. Um, uh, also, we're going to hear uh, Mitchell Daly. Um, talk about them moving forward and things like that. But like you said, there's not – it was kind of almost like – I think I did actually hear the words, this sucks, <laughs> but um, <laughs> that they have to move Half forward. Half way of describing it. Yeah, yeah, move forward. You move on with life. Guys are headed out for summer ball. Uh, those are going to play, you know, wherever they're going to play on the West Coast. Um, the Cape, as some might be at the Cape. Um, other summer ball – uh, some who are just going to do conditioning. Uh, there will be some who will take a look at the portal and and see if mm-hmm. if another opportunity uh, is better suited to them uh, and their interest. Uh, just as the coaching staff is going through, I guarantee you right now, their meetings are going through roster management and they're looking. Uh, they're also looking at the portal. So, so that's that's where. That's where that is. But that was my take on that for those of you who are wanting to know. If somebody said that ball uh, was hit so high, uh, so uh, some 400 feet uh, upwards or so, it just disappeared from sight. It did. Um, we said enough of Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get it. I understand. But it, it's an extraordinary story. So, I mean, the, what, what that guy is. So, that's that. I was just explaining uh, the the part of that learning the things that I learned about him on that, um, so you know anyway, so there uh, so there's that. Um, uh, the, the super regional hosts get to sit game times, or is that done by the NCAA? It's done by ESPN. Television controls it. I mean, they tell the NCAA what time they're going to do, and the NCAA announces the times. That is all television. That's all ESPN, their, their family networks. They're the ones you want to balance at what time they're doing it. So that's not on the NCAA. It's not on Stanford. That's, that's ESPN because they're trying to set up their broadcast schedule and things like that. Who knows? If, if, if the Tennessee Southern Miss Super Regional had not got extended to a third game, would the Texas game have been in primetime? Probably because they wanted a game in primetime. Probably. But it's possible it might have been earlier in the day. I don't know. And if they'd started one hour later like they did the night before, you wouldn't have had nearly the problem. Certainly not later in the game you wouldn't have had that. So somebody said, that's okay. Stanford will lose to Wake Forest. They may. Uh, Wake Forest is, I think, without question, uh, the best team, all-around team, going into the tournament. Does that mean they're going to win it? I, I don't know. It's the first time they've been in terms of 1955 when they won it. I've seen that a lot, Craig, where it's like, well, I mean, even if Texas wins, they're still going to lose Wake Forest. But you're still in the College World Series. And, Craig, as you know, anything can happen. The number one overall seed has not won it since 1999. Ooh. When Miami won right it. there. That was there the first go. year of the Super Regional. So the number one overall seed has not won that event since 1999. I would say this year is the best chance for that in some time. But again, wouldn't surprise me if it doesn't if it doesn't work out that way. Um, somebody said, "Whatever happened to student athletes taking basket weaving?" Yeah, that didn't happen at Stanford University. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't happen at the University of Texas either. That was always a. It was always the thing I remember, kid. It was always I always heard underwater basket weaving was the thing. Oh, they take an underwater basket weaver, something like that. Uh, you know, there's there's certain courses uh, that you take to fill out electives and humanities things. Athletic dance. Colt McCoy, his final semester, the '09 
season, of course, which ended, of course, with the unfortunate the, the shoulder injury there in the national championship game. But that final semester for Colt, he had one class, ballroom dancing. Mm. That was it, ballroom dancing. Um, so you get sometimes to the end of the line, and and then it's like, okay, I, I need a class for humanities or I need something. And so that's that's you know the way that is. Somebody match, uh, mentioned that Quinn Matthews matches up with Wake very well. He does. He matches up with most teams very well, clearly. Uh, here's somebody, uh, Coach Scooby, saying I, uh, my son, 15-year-old son, and I are headed to Omaha Friday. We're umpiring a youth baseball tournament during the day and CWS games at nights. Heartbroken, the horns fell just short. I understand that. You're going to have a heck of a time. That's one of the great things also about Omaha um, with all the other things, which is Zesto's and the, the restaurants and the, 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 uh, the merchandise tents and all that other kind of stuff and, and the opening ceremonies and things like that. I'll, I'll never forget uh, walking in with the team in 2018 in the opening ceremonies, how cool that really was, walking out on the field and fireworks and a lot of that stuff went away because of the pandemic and they started bringing it all back last year. Um, and and uh, But one of the other annual things that goes on with that event is that there are always youth baseball tournaments going on in that town that's already really busy. Uh, so, so those are going on. The first year that I went to Omaha, my first year in the, in the lead broadcast chair, 2002, the year they won their first national title under Augie Garrido, the hotel that Texas was staying at was so far out on the west side of town in the Old Mill area. There was a youth baseball team staying in the hotel. And you talk about you kids running up and down the hall at eleven o'clock at night and the and the and the washers and dryers were always in use and things like that. But it's yeah, but it's fun. It's it, it it's fun seeing those kids uh, be a part of that. So uh that's cool. Um so he said uh 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 Kyle Peterson, Craig Kyle Peterson mentioned your name on the broadcast. He said that's Craig Way getting excited. It was a bun up the first base side foul. Pretty cool. That was when uh, Dylan Campbell dropped that one, and it looked like it was going to drop in for a base hit. And it was a heads-up play uh, to let it roll foul at the time. And, yeah, we could kind of hear each other because we had the close quarters. Uh, you know, like I said, Kyle Peterson was kind of right in front of me and, and uh, Mike Monaco, great guy too, and a fine broadcaster. And they were both in the front row and down to the left and then the Stanford kids over to the right. And um, I heard he said that, and I heard they had some nice things to say about me. You know, it's amazing what a 12-pack of beer can get you these days. No, I didn't, no, I didn't, I didn't do that. But they, they're, they're good dudes. They are, and I, I appreciate it. All right, uh, we need a break. Coming up, we will have our uh, first Longhorn Notebook, and we are going to talk about the, the SEC schedule uh, release thing. We will do that, but we, we won't drown in it. Uh, we won't spend it, nor will we also with the baseball thing. Uh, there's there's several things to get to, and we will do that when we continue with Light the Tower. Here on the Horn, 104.9, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. This is Life the Tower on the Horn. Craigway with Craigway with you. Jeff Howe will be along here in a little bit as well. Uh, as we always do, we open up the Specs text line at 337-3776-512-337-3776. Um, CB pointed out that uh, Matt Liner took ballroom dancing his final semester at USC when he came back in 05. That's true. That's, that, that's true. Um, so I said, thanks, Craig, for the reminder about Colton, the championship game. 
I wasn't going there with that, but I said it was that semester that fall there. Do you, do you, do you, are you are you serious that you've you've actually completely forgotten about it until I mention it there? I get you. I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, it was it was kind of tough. So uh, somebody else says, can the NCA mandate? That D, that D1 schools have better lighting than the typical Little League field in Texas. Also, why wasn't the batter slash base runner called out when he threw off his batting helmet on the playing field during live play? And the uh, Stanford players running onto the field also during live play. Many thanks, says Keith. Um, a couple of questions. Well, first of all, the NCA is not going to mandate um, the lighting facility. Like I said, I've seen it in many places. Uh, Kansas is one of those that comes to mind that has the lower light standards. Um, Kansas State's is is only a little bit higher than than those. The old Alley P. Reynolds in Stillwater was kind of like that. Oklahoma uh, doesn't have real uh, you know heavy heavy duty, highly elevated uh, light standards there. Um, where were we last year for a game? Uh, Rio Grande Valley UTRGV is one of them. those. Are all Division One schools, and so. They're not going to mandate that sort of thing. Um, and I'd say the field is better lit than that. But it, the, the issue is, I'm telling you, it's less about the lighting and more about the twilight. It's the combination of the two. Because once it gets dark and all that, it's fine. But there's that set. You know, it, 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 I'll give you another uh, example where, where uh, there's an issue like that. Reckling Park and Rice, uh, their light stands are okay, but they kind of have, the, again, those those type of LED, the vapor light things. But more important, what Rice has had an issue with that I've seen nowhere else ever in any baseball environment, and it's just the way, the, the, it's the way that the sun rolls across the sky, and those who have been to Reckling Park for Texas games will know what I'm about to say. If you're, if, if you're sitting... Uh, you know, or uh, even worse for the hitter standing at the plate and you're looking out beyond the center field fence, what you see is the medical center in Houston down there. And when the sun is setting from behind the West, it reflects off the building into the batter's eyes. So, and this is the part, like I say, I've never seen this done anywhere else. They have had delays where they'd stop the game for 15, 20 minutes for a glare delay. Wow. So they've had to do that, in, including when Texas has played down there before. So at this time of year, the positioning of the sun is a, is a little bit different there. It's not like it is early in the season where it's just glinting right into your eyes. So so it's, you know, it's, it's a problem uh, with that. So anyway, the, there's that. Uh, and then uh, MJ from Hearn says, I'm ready to book my hotel for Omaha. I was all ready. Was ready to take my dad for Father's Day again. He could still go. He's just, you know, unfortunately he's not going to have Texas in it, but you could still go. Uh, 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 some, uh, Bernard Jetty says, the Skurlock Tower in the medical center, the only glare delay I've ever seen as well. I've never I'm glad you told me that. That's what, I just knew it was the, uh, the medical uh, facility there. I didn't know it was called the Skurlock tower so uh somebody asked craig when are you giving away the dave campbell's magazines when i get them <laughs> when i get i have not uh the request is in so uh hopefully we'll we'll have those and and we'll do that all right um uh, oh uh hey cam got a question on specs text line somebody asking what was that uh what was that song you hit back with coming back out of the break there lakeshore drive yeah so and what's it called? Because Beatles are the same thing with Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. When uh-huh. you kind of, you know, it's a, it's not, is it acronym? Yeah, LSD. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is that yeah. the actual, like, English term for what uh, Aliota Haynes Jeremiah, what a name that is, um, yeah. was going for? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Although John Lennon said all along it was not about LSD. He said it was his son, Julian, who'd come home from preschool with a drawing of a picture of his friend, Lucy. And it was a preschool drawing, and it had diamonds in the sky, and he said that's where he got it from. Mm. That's what John Lennon said. I don't know if I believe Mr. Lennon. 
considering during the time when he wrote that song what he was into, but you know, right? I understand. They were he can't the, defend himself. They were in the experimentation stage during that sixty six, sixty seven yeah. for sure. The uh, you know, it's funny. I heard uh, when I got off the plane yesterday and landed, uh, and then um, was uh, got in the car and was driving home. I'm listening to Ball Don't Lie, so I'm listening to Rod and Harge and 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 I'm hearing them talk about. Uh, music and 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 they get to talking about um, I forgot the artist they were talking about said forgetting words to his the lyrics to his songs and things like mm-hmm. that uh, that when he especially when he was performing it that was notorious uh, John Lennon when when the Beatles would sing he'd forget the lyrics to to a lot of the really songs. yeah and this was in the days before you'd have a teleprompter yeah out there so if you heard some live stuff you'd hear him repeat the same lyric. Or like in the first verse, do the second verse, and then do the second verse, the first verse. So it happened. It happened a lot during that. So it, uh, uh, you know, to do that. So, so I wonder with some with some like rap, like Little Wayne, right? He he needed he needed when he went on Late Show with Jimmy Fallon. He needed um, flashcards with his lyrics on it when he performed because he couldn't remember the lyrics he wrote because he's written so many songs. And right. When he goes in to record songs, he doesn't have it written down. He just does it off the dome. Yeah. Yeah. Different artists. Have, you know, you've always heard the stuff about when uh, songwriters would wake up in the middle of the night and they'd keep a pencil yeah. and paper beside the bed. So they write down a lyric. Uh, you know, Billy Joel would talk about that when he would, uh, you know, drive it home. I mean, he wrote New York State of Mind in about 20 minutes. Wow. He was on a bus. He was on a Greyhound bus coming back after he moved back from L.A. to New York State, and was, and uh, he was just rolling through, heading up to his home there at Highland Falls, where he also wrote "Summer Highland Falls." But he was, and all of a sudden, it just hit him, and he starts writing stuff down, and he runs into the house when the bus pulls up, and says to his then wife, "Where's the piano? Where's the piano?" And he goes in and sits at a piano to bang it out. And he got the whole thing done. He said, "That's that's the best ones happen that way. They just come to you naturally." And it took him about twenty minutes. Um, speaking of best, my best co-host is right here. He's the pride of Northwest Williamson. Well, you're the pride of North, Northwest Williamson County and a proud graduate of Florence High School. But they know you best for your outstanding work at Orange twenty four seven. That's Jeff Howe. How you uh, doing? Before we get to the notebook, I'm I'm good. I've actually got an inconceivable on how my late night slash early morning started. Oh boy. Um. You know, my favorite one when you talk about songwriters, I don't, yeah. want, to, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole because we've got to talk SEC schedule. Sure. Uh, first off, sorry for being so late. It's been a crazy morning. <laughs> I um, know. There's a lot going on. My favorite one of those, though, on songs, the round ball rock, which was the NBA on NBC theme. You know how that one came to be. NBC went to John Tesh and said, hey, we want you to write a theme song because we're getting you know, the NBA package. I knew he did it, but I didn't mm-hmm. know the... So we want you to write it. And yeah. he's trying to think, and he's trying to correlate it to a bouncing ball, and he's literally bouncing a basketball in his hotel. I think he's in France doing on a tour. And he gets the melody in his head. He calls his answering machine at home and, and leaves we, a message, and it's the da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and he has the melody in his head. He doesn't want to forget it, so he called and left himself a message on his own answering okay. machine. Okay. Now, when he left the message... Uh, on the answering machine, did he throw in those lyrics that got thrown in there? It's the heart of a champion. That no, because that. that I don't like. No, but I like the I like the music absolutely. Uh, without further ado, let's jump right on into our Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. All right, so let's talk SEC schedule tonight. Yeah. At six is when we'll find that out. And I heard you on the way in, Craig. I I don't remember. Can you remember this much hype I over a, a schedule release? It's over a year away from happening. I was a kid when I was a kid when uh, the the Big Twelve came to be. And yeah. I was in middle school, and I remember, I remember getting Dave Campbell's Texas football, yeah, and looking at the Big Twelve schedule, and that was really the first time. Think about that; that's the summer before the season starts, yeah. And that was the first time I sat down and really looked at it, and they had future schedules in there, and I'm like, wow, I'm like, Texas is going to play Nebraska, we get Kansas State, like all these games. It's going to be so many awesome. Colorado's on the schedule a couple times, right, and. But now it's like I think that's for people like now. Where where's is, when's Florida? When's when's Texas playing Florida? When's Texas playing Georgia? Right. Um, so let's just go through this. There's a couple of different layers to this. So we reported last night at Horns twenty four seven. A couple of different sources. This is how they expect it to play out. Um, 
Texas is expected, and again, this is expected. Right. Keyword there. That Texas will play A&M, Arkansas, and Oklahoma all in 2024. That's what I've been told as well. Um, I'm, I know what we've reported. I'm, you don't know. Combine that with, well, let's just, let me get through this first. There's like, sure, there's a lot yeah, of layers to it. Yeah. So A&M, Arkansas, it's, it's A&M and Arkansas on the road. Obviously, the Oklahoma game's in Dallas. Georgia coming to Austin is supposed to be kind of the big, the big marquee game. Okay. So you combine that with what Peter Burns at the SEC Network tweeted this morning, mm-hmm. and I've got this on my phone. Give me a second. Pull this up. Okay. Says each of the SEC teams, and this is Peter Burns. I, I can't. You can't even say it's a verified account anymore because a lot of the blue check marks went away. Right. Right. Says each of the SEC teams will play either Texas or Oklahoma once in the upcoming 2024 college football season. So every SEC team will have the Longhorns or Sooners on their 2024 schedule. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about this this morning and, and trying to think about it on the way in. Like, well, what does that, you know, what's that look like? Like you're in something that Oklahoma is going to get like Alabama and Auburn and Florida and Tennessee on their schedule. I don't know if Joe Castiglione is going to be too Texas. happy with that. Yeah. Um, so I, I just – this is uh, this is interesting, and I know with a with an eight game conference schedule and OU being a neutral site, it's going to be uneven whether your games are home or road. But I want mm-hmm. I want to read this schedule. This is my colleague Brad Crawford at twenty four seven Sports who okay. works, works on our national side. Uh, he is predicting uh, the t- eight SEC opponents for Texas. You ready, Craig? Yeah, Cameron, feel free to chime in as well. Now this is Brad Crawford's prediction. Take, his yes, prediction on what he thinks what he thinks will happen. Arkansas on the road. Mississippi State at home. And there's some history there. There's the 99 Cotton Bowl. Mm. There was the Jackie Sherrill incident with the castration cow, which, yeah, deal. I didn't want to use that First word, game I ever did in the booth as analyst. That's a, September, I think it was the 10th, whatever, of 92. Of 92. First booth. First game that Bill Shoning and I worked together was that Mississippi State 28-10 to 10 game. The hell of a game to remember. Yeah. Uh, Missouri, this says on the road, and I'm like, Texas can't be playing all these games on the road. Uh, but Missouri, so you've got Arkansas, Mississippi State, Missouri, Oklahoma, obviously, LSU. Brad says on the road, but I'm like again, I, Texas can't play six conference road games. Right. Um, Florida at home, mm-hmm. Georgia at home, Texas A and M on the road. Okay. Uh, the he may be spot on. I don't know. I some of the stuff that I have kind of been a little bit. Privy to hearing some conversation. Well, about. I said that that'd be three three home games, four road games, and then OU's neutral. So. Okay, well then that the if, math does add up. If if Texas is the designated home team, then that then that makes perfect sense. Yes, Texas is the designated home yeah. team this year. Okay, yeah. so this year or twenty four? Oh, in twenty no twenty four they'd be the road team, yeah. designated road team, right? So I don't I I don't know that they do a three five. Now, what I have heard is similar to what you said Brad Crawford was predicting that uh that they would play all three. Mm-hmm. I've also heard Florida uh at home. I heard yep. Mm-hmm. I've heard that either AM or Arkansas will be a road game, but not both, and that it's not necessarily a slam dunk that AM is hosting it. Arkansas at home would make more sense, though, right? Because Texas went to Fayetteville. At that point, it'd be three years removed. From yeah, but that was it, and 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 the what I was told about that because I raised that specific point was mm-hmm. that was the completion of a non-conference series. It doesn't have anything to do with conference game. As it, in other words, there's more meat on the bone for the case to be made for A and M Texas to if they suspended a conference series for 13 years and you pick it up in 2024 therefore you should go back to there you know you make arguments yeah. either ways on it so i've heard very similar things to what brad crawford is talking about although what i'm what i was told was that the, the names that i'd heard i'd heard florida at home and i'd heard uh, arkansas a&m and oklahoma uh ou game being what it is in dallas and that the Arkansas and A&M games, one would be home and one would be road. And I had not heard Georgia. 
but that wouldn't surprise me. Missouri wouldn't surprise me. The Georgia thing seems yeah. to be picking up. Yeah, steam. yeah. So, so it's similar. The things I've heard is similar to what to to what Brad's. And obviously, we're gonna you know find out in seven hours, a little over seven hours from now. But I'm just I'm kind of uh, fascinated by the fascination of it because yeah. it's because it's we're talking 2024 here. You know the uh, the interesting thing in this too further drives home the point when you look at your your conference if the, let's say this is your conference schedule right mm-hmm. you arkansas mississippi state missouri ou lsu florida georgia and texas a&m mm-hmm. along with don't forget you go to ann arbor in mm-hmm. 2024 yeah you're you're playing little sisters of the poor for your fourth non-conference oh, game here's something else to um to chew on uh, I've also been told, or at least there was the conversation. Getting somewhat of an exclusive here, folks. No, nah, not really. Not really. Just, you know, it's it's more speculation. But that the deal with the fourth non-conference game for next year is already done. And that the announcement will be coming pretty soon. If not tonight, because it's the SEC schedule reveal. I don't want to take away from it. Yeah, yeah. If, if not tonight. Probably not long after that. Ooh, do we get a Friday news dump? I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I just that's that's how it was kind of hinted to me that the deal has been done. It really wasn't that difficult. And by the way, I've been told this as well. It's not an FCS school. Okay. So that doesn't mean it's it, 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 you know, and I, I wasn't told anything else, but you know, if you, if you reasonably go from there, it's probably a G five. Yeah, you know, it's it's almost certainly not going to be a power five with like the the roster you just let read off there of of opponents there. The, the Cowboys aren't available. <coughs> That's to be right. Scheduled. Right. So, so yeah. When is when is Colorado State on the schedule? Twenty four. Okay, so that would be one G five, and then there would be. Another G five that that probably it, would happen. Let me look at the. I think it's is it Rice also on the schedule. Wyoming, UTSA? Wyoming, uh, UTSA, because uh, UTSA yes. for sure. Wyoming this year, Rice this year, UTSA. That's right. I've I'm, gosh, I'm getting my twenty three and twenty four schedule. I know. I had to think very slowly and carefully. Yes. Yeah. The twenty twenty four non conference schedule: Colorado State and UTSA at home. Right. At Michigan. Yeah, and there will be obviously a fourth one. And that the fourth one uh, will be a home game, and uh, and it will not be an FCS school. That's 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 what I was hinted at. Put it that way. That, so it could be Maryland. <laughs> no, they're a Power Five. Uh, Please, no. They're in the Big Ten. No, <laughs> done, 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 done with that. <laughs> Get, so you, you say it's going to be a home game. Does that eliminate the? Uh... The fantasy that a lot of my Texas State brethren have. of When I was asked seriously one time, I went down there for a speaking engagement, and I was asked dead seriously by someone, do you ever think Texas will play a game at Bobcat Stadium? And my After, I'm sure I looked like I just had, you know, smoking turds hanging out of my mouth. <laughs> I was like, why would that ever happen? Yeah. Why? Th- that would have to be like a... In the older days, and and you're going to see fewer and fewer of these things happening, especially the old, the old now in the SEC. For one. Two for one, maybe even a three for one. It would have to be something like that. Uh, Wyoming was a two for one mm-hmm. back in the late 2000s. There, uh, Central Florida was a two for one. And in the old British soccer terminology, they almost paid the full price <laughs> on that one because it struggled. So anyway, that's that, that that's just some of the hinting that I'd kind of been led to believe but I had I, what I've what I've just shared is basically all that I know but but uh but we'll find out a lot more here probably in the next 24 to 48 hours obviously the SEC schedule leaks tonight and then we'll see about that fourth non conference opponent uh, coming up over the next y'all, y'all know day or Craig. Two. Craig is so looking forward to the SEC schedule release cuz he's got to map out the restaurants on these road trips would it surprise you to learn that I know most of where no. the restaurants would be, no matter no, no because, matter what the road because trip because is. between baseball and women's basketball and NCAA tournament, I'm sure and you men's basketball most of those, too. Yeah, most of those most of those spots. 
Vic Schaefer has already clued me in on plays like in Starkville oh, and a couple of the other places, you know. So I've already known. So Eddie Orn, who was a the, you know an assistant at, at at Ole Miss, told me where to go when Texas played in the Super Regional in 05 when I went there. Did you go to Ajax Diner right on the Square in Oxford? I did. I did. Did you get you the meatloaf? I did. I actually did. Other than the train car meatloaf in Spokane, it's probably the best meatloaf you ever had, right? Really, really good. Mm. The train car meatloaf is something else. Nothing beats train car meatloaf. Shout out Brian Davis if you're listening. (laughs) Little train car meatloaf. Uh, Okay. We need a break. I know we're behind, but we needed to set the table on all of that. It's SEC schedule. We only get to, we only get to do the first SEC schedule at least once. Yeah. So. so when we come back, we will do inconceivable. We have that. And I've uh, got a freaking inconceivable. Oh, good. Good. Jeez. We've got that. So we'll continue to light the tower on the horn. 1049, 1019, AM 1260. Live, local, and digital on the horn app at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Uh, there are things to get to. So I'm going to let Jeff lead off here with Inconceivable because he certainly has items. Uh, so I was up to three scorpion stings, right, within, wow. within like a two-week span. It's amazing. Yeah, add two more to the list. Come on. I was getting a – I was actually, funny enough, I was – my desk was a mess because I had, you know – I've gotten some mail days for some cards coming in, and I've got stuff that needs to go out. And my wife's like, I just need this cleaned up. I need it organized. So I grabbed a box off my desk. I was like, sit down, and I've got a little accent chair in yeah. my office yeah. uh, you know, with a little ottoman and probably yeah. feet up. And I'm sitting down, and I put the box like in my lap when I sit down. Right when I sit down, I feel a burn on my oh. stomach. Move the box, and it's right there. Well, of course, I flip out. Now I've got... You know, cards all over the office, number one. And number two, I'm, like, flinging my arms and flailing all over the place. I, no, I haven't got to the worst part yet. I can't find the scorpion. I, my gut is burning. I'm like, I'm like, dude, it tagged me twice. And I look, and I've got welts already. I'm like, so I go to the bathroom so I can, like, get a good look at the welts. I feel something crawling oh, on the back of my no. head. I go like this, like, flailing to brush it off, and the thing falls on the floor. Craig, it was crawling on the back of my head. And you didn't know. No, I didn't know. You, I didn't know. Thank God it didn't sting you yeah, in the back I know. of the head. Could have got me in the neck, the ear. I don't know. But, yeah. And I <sighs> grabbed a shoe and just unleashed. See, you should have taken it alive. No. And then, especially all the damage it did to you. I just unleashed all kinds of rage on that oh. thing. I rage killed a scorpion, Cam. It was brutal. <laughs> Bludgeoned that damn thing. And there Brick. were four-letter bombs flying all over the place. Brick, you killed a man with a trident. You know, got <laughs> <laughs> like wow. I woke my daughter up and <laughs> woke my daughter. Charlotte, we got because you, you know uh, scorpions. If you put them under a black light, they glow. Yeah, that's how you can see them. So we give Charlotte a little black light flashlight in her room in case she has to get up in the middle of the night and use the yeah. bathroom. She can get the flashlight. I go in her room and I'm like, ah, I'm like, I'm like in pain. I'm like, Black, I need your flashlight. I was like, I got stung by a scorpion. She goes. I know, I heard you. You didn't have to wake me up. <laughs> okay. Glad I interrupted your sleep. <laughs> Sorry. So, yeah. <laughs> Woo! Oh, it's brutal. I'm, I'm... And then, of course, then I cussed the cat out because I'm like, aren't you supposed to kill these damn things? Yeah, yeah. Something? Not so his, much. No, his fat ass just sitting there. I'm not messing there with in that the corner deal. Of the room. Leave Mr. Smudge out of it, Jeff. Come on. He just looks at me and like, just just fill my bowl with food, fat guy, and leave me alone. Wow. Okay. Um, so there you go. Wow. That's amazing. Um, okay. Speaking of weight, as you just were there, you know, um, folks have been taking uh, semaglutide. You know it by its over-the-counter name, Ozempic, and... Uh, Wagovi. Oh, 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 Ozempic. Yeah, you know what it's for, right? It's supposed to be for diabetes, but it's diabetes. It's but in addition to diabetes, it's also a weight loss drug, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and uh, so people lost a lot of weight and said it's great and all this other kind of stuff. Well, the scientist, the lead scientist, who was a part of this, says he believes that life will become miserable for people who use this and that they won't stay on it for more than one or two years. Um, he, he said uh, because of the lack of interest in food. He uh, said that, that, you know, that 
supposedly, you know, the drugs come with side effects that range from <clears throat> uncontrollable diarrhea to uh, downright being disgusted by food. Uncontrollable. Uncontrollable. That's what the way it was listed. Uh, Jens, Just like a machine gun back there or yeah. what? Jens Yul Holst, who is a professor in the Department of Biomedical Sciences at the University of Copenhagen in Denmark, has been involved with researching these drugs since the 70s. He says there's a price to be paid when taking this. Uh, he said once you've been on this for a year or two, life is so miserably boring that you can't stand it any longer and you have to go back to your old life. Uh, because he says that Good God. the lack of interest in food makes your life boring. He's ultimately told, he said, we don't know why people stop taking these drugs, but you know for a fact that they do stop. So and they, even though they lose a lot of weight, they wind up getting completely bored and because so they're not skinny, enjoying food. You're skinny, but you're miserable. Something like that. Um, uh, you're, uh, we've talked about you being a collector and things like that, your interest in things. This isn't necessarily a collection thing, but the home of Walt Disney himself is... Uh, in California, one one home. That he had. Senor Disney's Casa. Yeah, the one where he created Cinderella and Pinocchio. They're mm. in the home. It's on the market, but uh, it's it's on the market, but it's not for sale. It's it's owned by film director and producer Timur uh, Bekmambetov. Uh, he bought it in 2011 for nearly four million dollars. Uh, this is the guy who did, um, this director did Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Remember that movie? Rod was really into Abraham Lincoln <laughs> no. Vampire Hunter. Oh, yeah. Ask Rod about it. Yeah. He bought it. Cam, are you familiar with that one? I'm not. Abraham it's Lincoln where, Vampire yeah, Hunter? Yeah, it's like this tale that he was actually a vampire hunter. Abraham Lincoln was. So, uh, this guy also did the remake of Ben-Hur. But anyway, he's, uh, uh, been proactive about opening the house to the community and so now he says they can rent the house, forty thousand a month. Good Lord, hey, it was Walt Disney's house. You know, you can rent it. It's just forty grand a month. Oh, Mickey Mouse better be coming in to make my bed and get turn down service <laughs> yeah, or something. Yeah. Forty grand a month. Yeah, something like that. Uh, hey, by the way, speaking of the Ozambic and people that take yeah. weight loss drugs, a miserable life. You know, like most of those weight loss drugs or supplements will make you miserable, right? Yeah. Like there's the one, I think it's Ally, is it? I think it's that, that's the one that makes you shart. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Most of those have some pretty, pretty bad side effects. Okay. Speaking of show business as you were, did you hear Pat Sajak's retiring? Yeah, heard that the other day. Millions. Uh, he announced it on Monday. Said the time has come. Decided our 41st season will be my last. So uh, so he's he's stepping down after that. Um there's 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 another uh, note to get to. We were talking about food and things like that. There was a group that taste tested uh, every flavor of Gatorade, uh, and uh, including the new lime cucumber flavor. Did you be on board with lime cucumber flavor lime. Gatorade? I, I drink I drink that yeah. Lime cucumber? Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, is it, is it, yeah, it's cucumber, cucumber yeah. lime. Yeah. Okay, you're on with that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, or no, cucumber melon is the one that I do. Ah, okay. All right. Well, you know, there's all these different kinds of flavors, you know. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Yeah, that's mm. the that's the uh, Powerade one there, according to Ricky Bobby. Uh, there's Cool Blue. Uh, there's Gatorade Fierce Grape. I like that one. I've had that one before. There's flow, kiwi, strawberry, lemon, lime, as we know. Uh, so there's, anyway, there's all these. Yeah, lime cucumber is the one that, okay. uh, that's like been that out one? for a long time. Yeah, you like really, that really dig that. So the taste test on that, that, that rated pretty highly, by the way, on the deal with that. And finally, uh, we have another story. A uh, woman in Ecuador, uh, Bella Montoya, uh, had, was the wake for her funeral. She was in the coffin, and the wake got there, and during the funeral, they hear banging on the coffin door. Yeah, they opened the coffin. She was alive. Oh! Yeah, she was alive. Pronounced dead, and uh, 
The wake was interrupted when her grieving loved ones heard repetitive noises from within the casket. Her left hand was hitting the side of the coffin, and it was shaking. Video from the service shows paramedics tending to her, who can be seen breathing as she's removed from the casket and placed onto a stretcher. So you say, how does this happen where somebody's like dead and not dead? Well, first of all, you start with the fact that the wake was held four hours after she was pronounced dead. Just four hours. What? Yeah, she does get her in the ground. So who does a wake? Like yeah, you were planning on this? Or we got to do this quickly, right? A medical examiner provided the folks with a death certificate listing her cause of death as cardiorespiratory arrest. It caused her. There was a cardiorespiratory arrest that caused her to suffer catalepsy. That's that trance-like condition marked by the rigidity of the body, decreased sensitivity to pain, and slower bodily functions such as breathing. And it led the hospital staff to conclude that she was dead. So they had her in a coffin. She's like, I'm not dead. You know what happens when you assume, right? Exactly. She's back now in the hospital again. They said, it's a good sign, heart stable, on a little bit of oxygen. So they're just saying, she's alive again. She's alive! Next hour. That is... (laughs) Coming up from Light the Tower.